In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey friends, we've reached the end of 2020 and we're near the end of the football season. Heading into week 17, I'm Chris Corman, joined by just Stephen Ruiz this week, Charles McDonald, uh, taking off today, getting ready for the new year. Uh, he'll be working tomorrow, writing some blogs over at For the Win. So Don't lie to them. them. We scared him off after four episodes. Yeah, Tell them he, the he was, uh, he's had enough <laughs> of our takes. He, he knows when to move on to, uh, to, to talk to smarter people on podcasts. No, no, he's, uh, I don't know where he's probably playing PS5, right? That's like, that's, that's, I mean, I wish I was playing PS5 right now. I'm counting down the hours until I can get off so I can get back on my PS5. And there you go. And I'm, I'm just imagining what it would be like to have both the PlayStation <laughs> five and the time to play uh, so. Uh, so here we are uh we got a lot to talk about today we're gonna try to run through quick i know everybody's uh getting ready to not go out tonight um because uh you know 2020 is 2020 but you'll do something to celebrate the new year so we'll get through this quick uh we're going to we're going to talk about charles's uh weekly feature he writes a column on tuesday we call the four verts uh and we will talk about some of what he covered in there he he gave us a nice little preview of the draft qbs there are four uh first round probables that a lot of people are talking about he gave us a little uh scouting report on those guys the wild card games that he wants to see um a little ditty on the packers uh matching up well with the chiefs and then under the radar players i really love that's Maybe my favorite part is he identified a couple guys who probably nobody's paying attention to, but who really emerged in their rookie years and are going to be pretty good. Uh, Steven, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Steven took the time this week to watch. I don't even know. Uh, what is this guy's name? John Wolford, uh, the, yeah. the new Rams quarterback. Steven tracked down a bunch of film and has has a take. He has a, he has a, a, a scouting report, a, a thought on what this is going to mean for the Rams that they are playing without – Jared Goff, and they're sort of playing with Goff's opposite in a lot of ways. Walford can't pass the ball at all, but he can move a little. So, can we get a, a Wolf Howl sound drop? Uh, I mean, if we had thought about that before the pot, we can ask. We can ask Adam, our editor uh, producer. Well, how about you? Just can you just do one? Uh, no, no. That, oh, okay, uh, <laughs> that will freak out your kids. Yeah, yeah, they're upstairs. They'll get scared. Uh, I have been deemed a member of the Wolf Pack by Mina Kimes, who's the the original member of. Oh yeah, she is. She, she, uh, she, she her her excitement level is a little concerning. Her, yes, yes. We're uh, we're supposed to have Mina on the show next week, right? Like, yeah. Uh, she told me she was going to retweet the thing I wrote about John Wolford, but she was afraid that it would be grounds for a restraining order, which it's probably the right idea. Like, you, you, if you tweet more than ten times about John Wolford in a given week, then. An investigation needs to be launched immediately. Uh, well, how about the fact that I, when when we were producing this story, you had uh, pulled all these pictures of John Wolford in his uh, Rams uniform, and I immediately said no and pulled out his, what team did he play for? The Hot Shots? Is the that Hot right? Shots. The Arizona Hot Shots. I, I found some art of him in his Hot Shots uniform. And uh, I'm going to look for one of these jerseys because – um, the hot shots uniforms are bad as I, I'm an amateur uniform. Analyst. You're not an amateur. You're a pro. You're, okay. you're a pro. You get paid for it. We actually pay you. Yeah, that's and, true. And you write your tapes. So, uh, and they're bad. They're terrible. Some of the worst jerseys I've ever seen. Like you should not have a Jersey that combines yellow, green, and, and red. <laughs> oh, they're so bad. 
This is a deep cut, but it reminded me of the old NFL Europe Barcelona Dragons uniform. It, it is very Barcelona Dragon esque. You're right. That's that's a good call. All right, we we got to do some uniform coverage in the off season. Okay, we got we got to pull some like old old uniforms. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the Browns. They are uh, continuing to to deal with COVID. Uh, they need to beat the Steelers. The Steelers are playing none of their good players this weekend, so the Browns remain a nine-point favorite and will probably win. But just the fact that like there's this much suspense over what should have been a slam-dunk playoff uh, spot for the Browns is very Browns. Uh, we're going to talk. We'll hit a little bit on that uh, awful Booger McFarland take about Dwayne Haskins. We'll just get into that a little bit. And then we have some... Uh, Quick Hits and Johnny Manziel and two pieces from the week that we really loved uh, from other outlets that we just wanted to spotlight a little bit. And finally, we'll talk about some games. Look ahead to week 17, the playoff spots that are up for grabs. Uh, Like I said, the Browns. Browns can win and they're in. If they don't win, the Colts will likely get in. Uh, And then over in the NFC, it's uh, the Rams and Cardinals are sort of the flex points, and then the NFC East, uh, which I, really we can't we can't talk about the NFC East anymore. How about the fact that this season is ending with the the football team, like literally a a team whose name right now is just football team playing the Eagles, uh, and and if the football team wins, it can win the division uh, with. A losing a, a, a by by being far under five hundred and having just cut a quarterback that it drafted in the first round last year. I mean, like this, you can't even make this. It's thing. like it's like an old chunky soup commercial where like they had Donovan McNabb in the rights to the Eagles uniform, but they didn't have it for the other team. So it was the Eagles versus like a football team. That's the game we're getting on Sunday night. <laughs> the football team. It's like uh, yeah, it's uh, it's back when. Um, like uh, before Madden had the rights or yeah, yeah. those video games. And like, I always played, uh, I played Bill Walsh college football a lot. And it was just like state college versus uh, uh, Boston Madison. University. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, wait, what? Uh, amazing. Uh, all right. Let's dig in on the forverts from uh, our friend, Charles McDonald. I know I have it saved here, but uh, yeah, I'm reading yeah. over it. And one of the head, one of the things is Doug Costin, Defensive tackle Jaguars. That is not a real person. I'm sorry, Chuck. I'm not buying. I'm not playing your sick he, games. Where we're... He, 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 these are deep cut. He, he, <laughs> he went. He dug into the film, man. Uh, let's talk about the quarterbacks, though. He. This is. I. I mean, this is one of those things where I know that we're going to get so inundated by it, and you're going to watch all the film, and we're really going to break this down for like the month of. I don't know. I guess that's. April that we really dig in on it, March, April, uh, after free agency and really look at these quarterbacks. But I had not seen a whole lot of Zach Wilson. I'd like seen the hype. I'd felt the hype building around me, uh, but I had not watched a ton of him. And uh, he's got a pretty impressive arm. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still I still think Justin Fields is better than he's looked this year for Ohio State. I think I, I think so much of this year uh, f- for any player, but the big 10 started late, you know, they, he didn't really get into rhythm and you could tell he just didn't look, I mean, they only played six games, right? I think they missed two because of COVID situation. So we'll get to see him in the playoffs, but uh, Wilson, I had not really seen a lot of, and I, I'm, I'm more impressed than I thought I would be. I, I, I assumed I would look at a guy who I thought was more of a college player. Mm-hmm. That was just sort of what I, that was my prior going in, and and I don't know. I, I see I see what it's all about. I see what the hubbub's about at this point. Yeah, he's the one guy that I've actually watched in 2020. Like watch his 2020 film. I've obviously seen Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence before, and yeah, I agree with you. And I I have a take on him, and I don't know how much this is going to change from now until the draft. But my take is that he's basically an impossible evaluation, and not just because of like his his stature although that plays into it he's a shorter quarterback but the pockets he's playing in at BYU it's like there might as well not be a pass rush and he's never going to have that luxury in the NFL and I think the big issue with him is as a shorter quarterback how are those tight pockets going to affect his ability to throw and make all the throws which he's capable of doing and we'll never know until he gets put in that that's why I'm like I'm going to I think I'm going to avoid having a strong take on him either way, because 
you're probably going to be wrong. Right. I, I mean, this is it's such a BYU thing, man. It's like there's he's got a bunch of like 28 year old <laughs> like Mormon <laughs> dudes playing offensive line for him, just protecting him. Uh, and he, I mean, even when he's running, he just like the field is wide open. <laughs> like he's, uh, it's it just he is not playing under duress very often. I think I, this is this is one of those quarterbacks where you have to look at his bad plays to figure out what the common themes are are there, and that's mm-hmm. the best way to evaluate him because just watching him throw routes on air. I mean, yeah, it's going to show that he has a strong arm and he can make throws to any part of the field, but it's not going to really tell you anything about who he is as a quarterback. Right. But at the same time, there's a fine line between overthinking these things and like, and that's how we miss on guys like Mahomes, or at least I missed on him, is like you ignore the obvious talent that's unteachable and you harp on little things that maybe can be fixed within the first couple of years of a player's career if he has a good coach. Right, right. I mean, that's like the, the Herbert thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago uh we were so intent on looking like is he processing what's going on here in this oregon offense and like we sort of we we know that big guys who can chuck the ball like a lot of them have not worked uh but sometimes if you have that and uh there's something else blocking it like at oregon it just wasn't working there uh, like the <laughs> what he he was just not getting uh, through things, but he's made that leap here. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's probably and and obviously, like we're not we're not the only ones who go through this, right? Like you, something happens and you change the way you evaluate, right? Like mm-hmm. Mahomes thing, and um, so we're obviously going to react to if if we get something wrong, like Herbert, we we sort of change that changes the way you look at it. But uh, I'm anxious for you to dig in more. As you said, like maybe on his bad plays, maybe we grab. That's something we we do a lot with quarterbacks. Is like let's look at these actual the negative EPA plays and what actually happened and why it happened and what it tells us. Uh, that's going to be hard to do for Trey Lance. That's another. Uh, obviously, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are the other guys. Charles spotlighted. I feel like those guys are well known. But Trey Lance only played one game this year. Uh, you already you wrote about that in the take dump one week, or maybe it was the clips. Uh, it was one of those, but where you you dug in on it. Uh, but he only played one game. It's like it's almost unfair to even, I, I don't, you know, to even use that as a sample size. And last year he was. It was sort of the same thing. Like he was so good last year and the team around him was so good. I don't even know how much you can take from it. Uh, like he, I mean, his numbers were absurd. Chuck, Charles wrote about him. Um, yeah. I don't think he threw an interception the year before. And he threw like 40 TDs or yes, right? it was something. Like, it was like a 30 to zero touchdown interception ratio. Yeah. Four, Just 40, 42 total touchdowns and no interceptions or fumbles. It's I mean, fake it's, numbers. It's right. fake. Like, it's not even video game numbers. I can't say right. that because I throw, like, five picks whenever I play Madden. <laughs> you have to, like, tur- you have to turn off turnovers to get, uh, to right. get there. So, that's uh, crazy. Um, so, yeah, Trey Lance will be another one. I mean, that's really going to be the story, I think, come the spring, is that there are two guys. I mean, even if Fields didn't play many games this year, he's he has a lot of uh, of game on tape, and he's he's been a known commodity for years upon years. Justin, he was the number one quarterback coming out of, high school uh, and jumped around a little bit, but he, I Georgia picked Jake Fromm over him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not a great look. Uh, So he's a known commodity and obviously Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, but the, the story will be trying to figure out who Lance and Wilson are. And it's, it's harder than even other years. Uh, So we'll be digging in on that. Uh, Charles also talked about some of the wildcard games he was looking forward to. He has Bill's Ravens first here. You have declared on Twitter that this will be the, the best wild game of our, all time if it happens. And I put zero thought into that tweet before I sent it out. <laughs> I didn't even take time. How, how many tweets do you think about? Because you said like 85 a day. So you- uh, like uh, five of them. <laughs> like, does it count if I'm like making a meme that requires me to open up Photoshop? Yeah. And, like, yeah. Yeah, that's oh, that counts as thought. Oh, then probably like forty percent of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that's it. Would be, it'll be a good game. The Ravens are playing. I, Bill. I can't think of a better game on paper. Like obviously, there have been great wild card games. Like right, Bill, right. Bills Titans, Music City Miracle is maybe one of the best ones ever. A Bills uh, Oilers, the comeback game was a wild card game, which I wrote about in the off season. Uh, but on paper, I think. Both of these teams 
I think these are one and two on the list of teams that can challenge the Chiefs right now. Right, right. The ones that realistically will play them. And I have no idea how that – I don't even have an idea of how the game might look. Like, I don't know. Is it going to be low scoring? It was low scoring when they played last year. But I think it was really windy in that game. And obviously, the Bills' offense wasn't operating at the level it's operating now. Or will it be a shootout like the – the Browns Ravens game we saw a couple weeks ago. I don't know. And I, I really want to find out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would just be, just be a great game. I mean, with the way the Ravens are playing and the bills playing, they're both playing well right now. And, uh, Andy Nesbitt wrote a take on our site this morning that, uh, <laughs> Josh Allen should be the MVP. I'm not, I'm not going to agree with Andy, but Andy Andy can uh, he can come up with his takes. I feel uh, like this is like Andy's fifth MVP pick of the season. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, Derek, he did, he definitely gave it to Derrick Henry at some point. Um, so, uh, but you know, I, I see where he's going with it. Uh, Charles's other games were the Saints Cardinals. I don't. know. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Just uh, would be interesting to see the Saints defense against. Kyler Murray, if he can get in. Uh, and then Steelers, Colts. The Colts need some help to get in, uh, obviously, with the the, the Browns are, are holding that spot. But the Colts could be could jump up and then end up playing the Steelers. And that would be the Roethlisberger-Rivers game. <laughs> um, <laughs> Roethlisberger, uh, I mean, you know, he can barely throw the ball. Rivers is just like he he knows how to get away with not being able to throw the ball because he's done it for so long. Uh, but it would be an interesting game. Right. Like Rivers is like a guy like if you gave a chef a butter knife to like prepare a meal, like the meal would still get done. It would be a little rough around the edges and there'll be some ugly moments, but the meal will still get made. Rogers is like a chef and you give him uh like a Fisher Price kitchen. <laughs> I don't even know. This metaphor has gone off the rails, but it makes sense in my mind as I'm saying it. Yeah. I mean, Rossberg, like his, he, I, right. I mean, he just barely, uh, it looks like his arm just bothered. Like it just looks painful for him. Whereas Philip Rivers has just looked like, uh, like your uncle trying to play quarterback on Thanksgiving for years now. Like he's right. who he is. Like that's, uh, that's and he he just he's savvy uh whereas Rothsberger is like you can tell he's fighting against it i mean i'm glad that the 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 steelers are sitting Rothsberger this week because we talked about this earlier this year like it's clear that he needed more rest and mike tomlin was doing like tough football guy thing like no we need him to practice like no you need to let the guy's arm rest because he had a week where he missed and came back and he was like there was like a modicum of zip on the ball and it was so noticeable on film right. that he just needed a little bit more time to, uh, to relax. Uh, Charles also writes in the take er, in the four verts about uh, green Bay being the best suited take on Kansas city. And I mean, this is simple. Just they have Aaron Rodgers. and uh, sure seems like Aaron Rodgers is going to win the MVP. I mean, I guess whatever happens this weekend, will will play into that, but he's uh, just playing at a level that means he can keep up with the Chiefs, and and that really is the story of the Chiefs. Like, like uh, we're going to dig into this. We, we started our playoff planning, and we started looking at this Chiefs team. But they they have just been able. I mean, every game last year in the playoffs, they is like, well, the Chiefs, they're they're out. They're, there's just nothing they can do, and then they just they make things happen on offense so quickly uh, that there are a few other teams because you have to match that. You have to be able to come back and do it. I mean, by that time, the game in those small windows, you just need a quarterback capable of making those plays. And Aaron Rodgers is, is clearly the guy at this point, even with basically one wide receiver uh, that can do that. Yeah. And I think he, he obviously gets more help, not from the personnel, but the coaching staff and the play calling has been so good that, the lack of a second receiver hasn't been an issue. And we all assumed it would be an issue because what the Packers offense looks like this year isn't necessarily what it looked like last year. And maybe we should have realized that there was going to be some natural progression there. Rogers is second year in the offense that, I mean, he's, he was under McCarthy basically his entire career. I know Mike Sherman was there for the first year or two, but he basically knew one quarter, one offense as a starting quarterback. And maybe we should have realized that, there was going to be this natural improvement and that maybe they didn't need to bring in a second receiver and that Rogers brilliance 
uh, LaFleur's play calling and Devontae Adams just being one of the better receivers in the league would carry them through, and it has. Right. Uh, these players that Charles uh, highlighted, these the, the rookies, the unheralded rookies, Doug Costin, who you claimed was not real, uh, is actually an undrafted interior defensive lineman. And uh, Chuck's got some – he's got some clips here. He's got just a little clip of him playing. Uh, this is interesting largely because of what we're going to talk about later with a, a PFF story that we wanted to highlight and, and talk about uh, – how much those players matter and how they matter in the way that modern defenses are playing uh, sort of these uh, run stuffing block, taking up defensive linemen uh, and the Jaguar, like we're going to be looking at the Jaguars a lot because they're going to get Trevor Lawrence, who knows who they're going to hire as a coach, but this is going to be a team that's intriguing. Uh, and if they can put together a good defense and uh, they already have some weapons for Lawrence to throw to, like you can turn things around pretty quickly in the NFL. Uh, Cameron Curl is another one that he highlighted a safety on the Washington football team. And I did not realize how good this dude was, uh, but he really, uh, uh, Charles points out, he's just all over the field. Uh, he's he's in the box. He's uh, playing a lot near the, the line of scrimmage, but he's also been a, a pretty decent slot corner. Um, yeah, this is a name I had, I had actually heard of. Okay. Earlier this year, I had not watched him, and I but I had heard good things from people I trust. So this one, yeah, I've heard of this name, and I think it's one that we're probably going to have to pay attention to because Washington's defense is probably going to be good again next year. It's probably going to be one of the better defenses in the league. And if they get a quarterback, they might be a team that will make the playoffs without having to go through a right. terrible division to do it. Right, right. Uh, and then the third one he highlighted is uh, Michael Nwinyu, uh an offensive lineman from the Patriots. And this is interesting because uh, Henry McKenna wrote this post for us this, this week. But uh, Belichick, you know, this is the worst team he's ever built. You know, he coached bad teams with the Browns and a couple, I think maybe the first year of the Patriots was not very good. But uh, he didn't build those. I mean, th- this is a team that he built and <laughs> he has to take responsibility for and he has to try to rebuild it now. And he I like he has a ton of cap space. He has some picks as he always does. And uh, this this is a six round pick that has really worked out well. Uh, and if they get uh, Isaiah Wynn and Marcus Cannon back, like all of a sudden their offensive line looks pretty good again. And, you know, Cam Newton's going to be much better if they stick with him or th- there's going to be options at quarterback uh, for, for this Patriots team. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't bet against Bill Belichick rebuilding pretty quickly uh, i don't know yeah i don't think this team's going to be down for very long right this is like if you're a fan of one of the other afc east teams or any of the teams i guess because they have just dominated <laughs> the whole league like this is your year to celebrate like soak this in and enjoy right. it because they have the the means to reload next off season and yeah like you said i trust bill belichick to rebuild it and this this is a good year to have a lot of cap space, not only because other teams won't have that flexibility, but there are a lot of good free agent receivers that are going to be available. And that's the biggest need on this roster. Right. And if they could fill out this receiving core with maybe one or two good players and then add some dudes in the draft, they're going to get the guys that opted out back right. next year. Right. And this team still almost finished 500. Like there were a few lucky bounces away from being an eight and 18. So I would not be surprised if they're back to winning 11 or 12 games. Yeah. That was my takeaway from Henry's post was that like so many things went wrong that the Patriots should have been much worse than they were. I think the headline we use is like, even Bill Belichick couldn't drag this broken Patriots team to the playoffs, but he almost did. Like he came so close, uh, like, the loss of Hightower was so big. Like these guys who knew the defense, because he lost all the the guys in free agency too, and and then the opt outs happened. Like, you, I mean, he obviously would have done things a little differently if he had known the opt outs would be as extensive as they were, and maybe they would have signed Cam Newton early. Like there there were so many things that just went a little bit wrong. I mean, Newton missed time because of COVID. Like that, this team should have been bad, and it was just like not the Patriot, you know, it was like, it was just bad by Patriot standards. Really. It was just sort of like an av- league average team. Otherwise uh, we made it. And Belichick said that it was by design. So I know a lot of right. people scoffed at that and were like, Oh, he's just making excuses, which I mean, he doesn't strike me as a guy that wants to make excuses or cares to, but like what he said was just reality. They, right. 
the circumstances were going to lead to this being a down year. Like, I don't think anyone expected it to be this down, but we didn't expect a pandemic to just wipe out half of the starting lineup on defense. Right. Uh, all right. Let's 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 get to what we're really here for. The John Wolford breakdown. <laughs> uh, you guys, you guys got to find this post over at for the win. How a QB you've never heard of could make the Rams offense more interesting. Uh, we're not saying it's going to be better, right? Like let's, let's get, no, it's going to be worse. We're actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Jared, Jared golf, as much as we uh, talk about Jared golf, uh, in a negative way, that's because he was the number one pick who who makes a absolute boatload of money. Like he's not he's not as valuable as a lot of those things say he is, and he's limited in a way that makes Sean McVay's offense much worse than it could be. Uh, but John Walford is not going to walk waltz in here and be better than he is. Uh, but he is going to do some things differently that might allow McVay to uh, showcase things in his offense that he had to put away and not use because golf is who golf is. Wolford's a guy who can move a little bit more. So what do you think, how do you think it's going to look different on offense for the Rams? And I mean, I think they showed some of this in preseason last year uh, and and you caught some of that. So so we we have some clues as to how this is going to unfold. Yeah, I think we're going to see them operate out of the gun more. And that was, that's been a thing that they really haven't done. They've gone against the league in that way, where as more and more teams are operating from the gun, the Rams were under center more than any other team. But I think with Walford back there, you're going to want to get him involved in the run game. Like his mobility will be a factor in the run game. And you want to get that extra number that defenses have to account for. So I think we're going to see them operate out of the gun and run some zone read. And then from there, you can run your play action stuff from, from uh, the gun rather than under center, which is what they had done under golf. Like I, I think I cited it in the story. They had only attempted 20 play action passes from the gun over the last two years combined. And just watching the preseason games with Walford, like I saw, I saw three in the Cowboys game and he only played a couple drives and a couple on in other games. But I think it's going to be, that's going to be the major difference scheme wise. But the other differences aren't going to be scheme things. It's just going to be what he does outside of the structure of the offense and how he can extend plays and he can take off on scrambles and pick up first downs with his legs. If the defense wins the play call, he gives them a plan B. I don't know if plan A is going to look as good. And that's where Jared Goff is kind of at his best, like operating the offense, but we're going to see, we're going to see a guy who can add something extra, which we haven't seen with McVay's offense, even going back to his time in Washington when he had Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is a much better player now than he was then. But right. back then, he was kind of like Jared Goff, where he's going to get the most out of uh, the play call if it's a good play call. But if it's not a good play call, then you're kind of screwed. At least with Walford, you have a chance. Right. Uh, one of the stories that we want to talk about is the Robert Mays profile of Brandon Staley. Uh, and, and we'll get to that. But he Staley talks like the opening is about Staley getting the job with McVeigh, and essentially it's him talking about numbers and about uh, how you have to create mismatches uh, as a defensive coordinator. You're just trying to create the right mismatches, right? Like you're trying to cover the guys who need to be covered and, and, uh, undercover the guys who aren't going to hurt you as much. Right. And like, we talk so much about, how excited we were with Cam Newton going to the Patriots because Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels had never had that in a quarterback where you really had to play 11 on 11 football. And that's something that McVay has this, uh, this week. Like at least it's a little bit more like, like you said with golf, it's he's, he either beats you right away or he doesn't. <laughs> and so like, that's, that's not uh, as, I mean, there are challenges there. Obviously, the Rams made the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Uh, they've been a good football team, but there are extra challenges when a guy can do something after the fact or can do something unexpected with his legs and make it 11 on 11 football right away. Uh, yeah. And I think the play that kind of exhibits Goff's limitations from the last week is. The interception, the awful interception where he, he he was on the move. He was running. He was kind of right. under pressure and he tried to target. I think it was Robert Woods. It was out of structure. Robert Woods was like 10 yards in front of him, kind of slanting away from him. And then Goff tries to throw it on the run and he misses Woods by like legitimately like 10 yards. Like it's one of right. the worst throws I have seen ever 
I, I've never seen a quarterback miss a guy that was like five to 10 yards in front of him by 10 yards and right. throw an interception. But it just goes to show that like once he gets out of the structure of this offense that has just been a security blanket for him, he is not a very good player. Whereas I think Walford makes that play easily. I actually right. think Walford never even throws it. I think he just takes off and picks up a first down. But right. if he had thrown it, I don't think it would be as bad. And that's the one area where a former AAF cast off is better than a number one pick who's making 30 million dollars a year i uh, i get like legit anxiety when i see jared goff roll out like i i just wonder what are they why are they rolling this guy out like he does not look comfortable running like he does not look comfortable turning his body to throw like Taysom hill like i get it right okay he's gonna roll out like Lamar Jackson rolls out. I'm like, oh, this like no matter what happens here, it's going to be amazing. But golf, it just like I cannot imagine continuing to call that play. And they called it multiple times uh, last week where they had him rolling out, and he just looks. I think I said in Slack that he looks like a lost tourist. Like he just does not know what he's looking at when he turns, runs, and then looks downfield. Uh, it's just such a such a bad look for him. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan actually had like a a quote saying that he actually prefers less mobile quarterbacks to uh, more mobile quarterbacks on those plays because the defense doesn't respect the quarterback running and taking <laughs> off of the ball, and that somehow that may opens up things downfield. I forget. His explanation right. is much better than what I'm saying right now, but that's the idea. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's why McVay likes having a guy back there like that. Yeah. Right. I guess, I mean, a defense would never expect it either. So uh, sure. Uh, anyway, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Uh, let me see what the I forget what the line is here. So the Cardinals and Rams are playing in a pivotal game. Arizona is a three point favorite. Uh, so yeah, the uh, you know this is a huge game. <laughs> it's a big spot for Wolford to step into. Uh, we'll break we'll break down some a couple games. In a little bit, we're not gonna not gonna go through the whole slate this week because it's week seventeen and they don't all matter. Uh, let's talk about this Booger McFarland take. This, this is uh, this uh, you know Dwayne Haskins was released by the Redskins last week after uh, not playing well in a game subsequent to uh, his being tagged in photos of him being out and about partying without a mask on, which was a a covid violation he ended up paying a fine uh and so his career with the redskins comes to a close i I mean it's it's it seemed like this was the path for a long while now because haskins i mean i don't know how you feel about it but it didn't really seem like he got that much of a shot early in the season um and and last year with with jay gruden as the head coach like gruden clearly didn't want him to be the starter uh just something happened where the redskins picked Haskins in the first round and then never got behind actually letting him start. And whether that's valid or not, uh, based on his play, you know, we can debate, but it's just, he was never really in a comfortable spot. And so I think we all saw this coming, but it was hastened by this controversy and and Booger McFarland, who is still on ESPN, uh, they've sort of buried him away a little bit, but, uh, he is still getting his takes off, and he he said, uh, oftentimes young players, especially, I'm going to go ahead, especially young African-American players, because they make up 70% of this league, they come into this league and ask themselves the wrong thing. They come into the league saying, how can I be a better player? They don't say, how can I be a better teammate? They don't say, how can I be a better person? How how can I get my organization over the hump? Here's what they come in saying. They come in saying, how can I build my brand better? How can I build my social media following better? Like. Uh, uh, Dwayne Haskins was not out building his social media brand like without partying like young athletes have always done. Like uh, this take was just so bad uh, to I, I, I'm just not sure why we're still going down this path where, uh, yeah, I think Tory, a bunch of guys, Tory Smith was one of them. A bunch of people point out like it's just old head football yeah. thinking where these guys like they just want to. They just love to talk like uh, the way we used to do it. We, I mean, it's just totally revisionist history, and it's you know it's playing to racist stereotypes, right? Uh, 
him saying, I mean, first of all, he, he, he contradicts himself by saying like, well, it's, it's so many African-American players, that, but like the league is mostly black. So if you're seeing more African-American, like, uh, like, okay, it's just that some percentage of the league has trouble adjusting to a situation that anyone who's reasonable would say is difficult to adjust to. They're, they're young. They get a bunch of money. Uh, they, they're in incredibly high pressure jobs. Uh, like the pressure on Dwayne Haskins was immense. Uh, and like, a lot of people would struggle under that situation. And uh, I feel like this is the only line of work where we apply that line of right. thinking to like where if someone, if you knew someone that was working at, I don't know, a, a Kinko's and they're like, yeah, I, yeah, it's just a job. I'm just like trying to pay rent. Like I, I'm not putting my heart. And so you're not like, wow, do you have a responsibility? Kinko's is paying your bills. Like you should be giving it everything you got. And like, even like a higher level job, we're not, applying that type of logic. We're not doing that for like, even like an actor who makes millions of dollars doing something that people might say isn't real work. Like no one's ever like, Oh, well, you're not, you're not giving it. You're all for paramount. (laughs) Like, why is that? This the only sport and it are the only line of work. And I think it all comes back to racism. We're seeing these young black men making millions of dollars and there's some resentment there, I feel like. And that's the only reason that we talk about them in these terms, there's no other line, uh, no other profession where we do this. Yeah. And I mean, as I point out, so I wrote a column about this and like, it's so like people were just all over Haskins. Well, he's like, he played at Ohio state for urban Meyer who tried to cover up pretty clearly uh, a, a protege of his, a guy that he had brought with him, uh, a young coach named Zach Smith, who had 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 problems with his wife with domestic abuse. And Meyer was like just trying to deal with it his own way and not helping in, in a way that was not helpful to this woman or her children. Like, so that's one of Haskins role models, right? Is this guy who doesn't take responsibility for a wife who is imperiled and, uh, like so that's one like that's one guy who Haskins is supposed to be looking up to and then he gets drafted by the freaking Washington Redskins who are just the most disgusting uh team in the league i mean Dan Snyder like news just came out that he paid off an employee to scuttle uh allegations of sexual harassment uh, and then there was i mean the Washington Post has, has detailed dozens upon dozens of women who have complained about uh, an environment like that and then Haskins coach last year, Jay Gruden, like he was on video on social media video doing dumb stuff like an act doing like the stuff idiot. Haskins is doing. <laughs> right. Like, like uh, where where was Dwayne Haskins? Like, where was this leadership and guidance that was supposed to get him uh, to be more of a grown up and uh, like and, and to, to realize that football is a business. Like if football is a business, Dan Snyder is a billionaire and he's getting away with whatever he wants. Jay Gruden got an offensive coordinator job right away. Like uh, the, the business rewards people like people who fail all the time. Right. <laughs> uh, it's not uh, like, uh, you know, him, even if he were built and like, by the way, pro athletes should build a social media uh, following like that's something they should be because these teams don't like they're not going to care about him if Dwayne Haskins tore his ACL or you know got a bad concussion and couldn't come back it's not like the Redskins are going to take care of him for the rest of his life or even whatever expected period of his career he would have been getting paid they're just going to say well sorry you don't have a guaranteed contract you can apply for the NFL's programs that will pay you uh, you know some some sliver of what you might have made uh, you know as, as a disabled veteran and you'll have and by the way you'll have to like fight their doctors tooth and nail time after time after time to prove that you're actually disabled so that'll be great um but yeah it was just a i mean this is such a bad 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 take uh no yeah uh, like there should be sympathy for for what's happening with dwayne haskins in his career there shouldn't be criticism there'd be sympathy and if it was anyone else in your life in a different line of work you'd be sympathetic to to them and they're fresh. I'm, I'm sure he's frustrated. He, right. he got drafted by a coach who didn't want him by right. all accounts. I think Gruden basically admitted it himself. Then his second coach was a guy who didn't draft him and didn't ever really see him as a part of their long-term plan just based on how he's handled him this season. Right. 
I'd be frustrated too if I was him, and I maybe I wouldn't put in all the effort that I have into this job, and maybe I would, you know, enjoy some of the money I'm making. Like I, I'm sympathetic to Haskins and what's happened to him, and I think I feel bad, and I feel like in a different situation, his career might look a little differently. And that's really the only takeaway I think you should have on this whole situation, right? Yeah, and I, the, the TV thing is like I. I tune so much of it out. Like I, I can barely pay attention to the, like the pregame shows and, and so much of this, like basically if it bubbles up on Twitter, I, I begin to pay attention to it, but it's just like, it's just a poisonous mix of old time thinking uh, both. I mean, just more benign stuff like on the field, uh, like how the game is played and what matters on the field, but also just all this stuff off the field. Uh, there's just such a chasm between how the people on the TV are talking about sports and how people who are having conversations like us on Twitter or, uh, you know, with our, with, with friends, with other reporters, like there's such a young players, like there's such a gap between how all of this is perceived Um uh, it's it's frustrating. I mean, I wish I wish there was a way to make it better quicker, but it just seems like there's this entrenched media that uh, is not is not catching up to some of these things. Um, speaking, let's, this is a good this is a good segue. Uh, uh, Booger acting like Haskins is some like party animal who will cost his career like, and that's a black thing. Uh, Johnny Manziel actually partied his career away, and <laughs> he's not black. He's a white guy, but he uh, he. He signed with a new football league, uh, and it's called Fan Controlled Football. And I wanted to bring this up because our uh, Mike Sykes, who was on the show uh, a couple months ago, a great episode, uh, he actually had been digging into uh, for a couple months now. I think he's been looking at this fan controlled football league, and it is pretty like it's fairly interesting. The uh, it's not as ambitious, like it's not trying to be the AAF or the XFL, like a whole football league, uh, you know, really trying to like have teams all over the place and build fan bases. Like this is a totally different concept. It's basically arena league football. It's, uh, it's played on a smaller field with only seven guys in a studio. All the teams are together in one place. And then the fans are allowed to vote on plays uh, and everything and plays and, and coaches and GMs. So it's, it's a little bit more like running a team on a video game system. Uh, and then, you get to actually see it happen in real life. So it's interesting. And we have that story up on for the win. Uh, it's called fan controlled football. Why this spring football league might actually work. Um, Marshawn Lynch is involved in an in ownership group. I think Richard Sherman is uh, Austin Eckler. So like, there's some interesting stuff going on here. I have no idea whether Johnny Manziel is going to be able to resurrect any semblance of a football career, but it'll be interesting to watch, I guess. <laughs> Are you going to watch? Uh, I mean, you're I not. I, it's on, it's on Twitch. So you, once you tell me what Twitch is, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll watch, and then if I if I can figure out how to. Uh, actually, we're gonna we're gonna stream some. Uh, you and Charles are gonna play Madden on Twitch. I think starting. Yeah, next week, we're, so. we're starting to play in that. So I got to start preparing. I can't lose. Yeah, you gotta. Like I can't do that. You gotta. Uh, are you able to? Are you able to get film of Charles playing? Like, are you able to break? I don't it? know. I, I might have to do that. I've done that before. I had to like play someone online, and they like. It was like an online franchise type league deal, and I, I scouted his games. It did not work. I, I ended up losing the game, but there was like two plays where it helped me, and I felt good about it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, all right, so we wanted to talk about uh, a couple of these pieces. I mentioned the Robert Mays piece in the Athletic on Brandon Staley, and uh, this is just we've been fascinated by Staley. He's the defense coordinator for the Rams, who. Uh, yeah, I said on an earlier show, like if he were an offensive coach, he would be getting so much hype for the work he's done with the Rams defense and making it good. Uh, but this, uh, you know, it's, I, I feel like this is a piece that was just sitting out there like, oh, man, who's going to tell the definitive story of Brandon Staley? Uh, and even though I thought that it was out there and that it would be good, whoever wrote it like Mays killed it more than I thought it could be. Like he dug so deeply into this. Uh, we were joking before that. He, he has like a, a still shot from a uh, film of John Carroll, which is 
you know, a division three, basically uh, a, a coaches, uh, a cradle of coaches of sorts in division three. Uh, but it's probably hard to find film from there. And, and Mays found it. What did you what did you learn from this piece? I learned that the things that I thought Staley was doing, like he's actually thinking about. And that's like rare. We usually ascribe these these philosophies to coaches that we don't know if they actually think like this. And it, this applies to player evaluation, too. I think if you see someone analyze a quarterback, you're like, oh, he saw the the post safety rotate down and read the leverage and knew to, to shuffle this way and throw it. And then, like, really, if you ask the quarterback, he was probably like, yeah, I just kind of like felt it and just threw it. Like, I feel like we do the same thing for coaches sometimes, but like Staley actually believes that in this theory that, you know, you have to have fewer numbers in the box to better defend the pass. And that's what playing defense in this league is about now. And I was just excited just as someone who has written about Staley and kind of put those thoughts onto him from an outside, an outsider perspective, like that he's actually thinking that it like excites me as someone who observes this league and to know that the league is in the hands of these younger defensive coaches who think like this. And I think it's going to just make the league more interesting going forward. Uh, And the other piece is from pro football focus and this uh, a a little bit along the same lines. Uh, This is the headline is long and maybe not as direct as it could be interior run defenders matter why players like Quinn and Williams and Duran Payne add more value to a defense than previously thought uh, that that's an incredibly boring sell for a story that <laughs> essentially uh, I, one of the reasons that we're excited about is because couples it's two summers ago now right that uh, yeah. St- Stephen wrote a, a huge project which we called after the boom and it basically was tracing uh the nfl defensive uh philosophy from the legion of boom and how those teams worked and and how the rest of the league sort of followed that uh it's a copycat league of course and then how teams were starting to move away from that and and change things and steven was projecting I mean, it was really we weren't we spent a little bit of time talking about the past, a little bit of time talking about what was happening then. But really what we wanted to do was say, how are these defenses going to keep uh, morphing and evolving in reaction to offenses getting ever more complicated to having guys like McVeigh and uh, Cliff Kingsbury and, and these really innovative minds. And, and Steven projected some things that, and, and basically this PFF story confirms some of what you thought, would happen yeah and i feel like the staley article does too right and when i was writing it i was like ah is this really gonna happen like is this where the league is gonna go (laughs) like are they really gonna adopt these college principles like i was skeptical myself and i wrote the piece i didn't know (laughs) that this was gonna happen i was kind of suggesting that it should happen and then it did and like i i I mean i gotta take my w's when i can get them like i gotta pat myself on the back i feel like i called this one like the main ideas in this piece were one play more two high coverages, which has happened in the league this year, play more pattern matching coverages, which it's, it's happening. The best way to do that and still defend the run is play with more odd fronts, play these tight fronts where you're clogging up the middle, which is happening. And then we talked about the roster building implications. And one of my conclusions was that players that are good at clogging up gaps and, controlling offensive linemen and you know stealing gaps back in the box which is a big deal for uh, defenses now like that's come to fruition now we're valuing guys like Jerron Payne and like a guy like Leonard Williams and I don't know I like it feels good to get that one right but right. it like I said it's more interesting because now there's more diversity scheme wise not only on offense but on defense and like 15 years ago in an NFL game like they all look the same schematically X's and O's wise it was just about execution and ma- uh, matchups right. but now I feel like X's and O's just matter just a little bit more right now right yeah I mean and simulated pressures I mean I think we we talked about creepers in that series and I mean you just see so many more now I mean mm-hmm. part of that might just be that I am more conditioned after watching all the film you included in your post but you can just see simulated pressures all the time I mean it's such a staple of good NFL defenses and, and trying to trick quarterbacks and and you can also likewise see quarterbacks 
reading those sometimes and, and figuring out where the simulator, but like it's the, the game is just evolving so quickly uh, and it's fascinating to watch. So do check out those stories if you get a chance. Uh, let's let's. I don't know. Let's talk about week 17. A couple, uh, like we were saying, you know, most of the spots, uh, the Chiefs, Bills, Steelers are all locked in uh, as division title winners. Uh, I think this, the Bills are have like an 80% chance of ending up at number two, the number two spot. The Steelers have an 80% of ending up at number three. Uh, so the Titans are still, uh, still need to clinch, but they play the Texans. So... You know, barring something unforeseen, the Titans should win that game and clinch that number four spot. Um, the Dolphins, Ravens, and Browns are all ten and five, so they are and they are currently sitting in that order, uh, five, six, seven, in the wild card spots with the Colts chasing. Uh, so now the Browns, Browns can they can get it's simple, right? If they win, if they beat the Steelers, and the Steelers are not playing Roethlisberger, they're not playing. Watt, they're not playing Marcus Pouncey. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that are going to be out for the Steelers, and they have nothing to gain. It's not like they can get home field advantage or a buy or anything. Uh, so they are a huge favorite. However, the Browns are dealing with more COVID uh, situation. Two players uh, tested. I, I'm forgetting who it was right now. It's Malcolm Smith, the linebacker, was one, and Harrison Bryant, the tight end, I think was the other. Uh, so they had two positive tests today and sort of just now we have to wait for the process to play out, see if there are any close contacts identified, see if any players end up having to miss the game. Those wide receivers who missed the Jets game should be back. Uh, the Jedrick Willis is back. They're starting left tackle who missed the game. Uh, he had been on the COVID list, but it turns out he missed the game because he felt ill with something other than COVID, I guess. It's all very hard to follow. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the Browns, I mean, uh, they remain a nine point favorite. I'm, su- I'm surprised Vegas still has this uh, this line up, but uh, they remain a, a heavy favorite to win this game and they would get in then. Um, but if they lose, then it opens the door for the Colts to get in. Uh, the Colts are playing the Jags. I, I, the Jags might not even show up, right? It's <laughs> just like, well, they can win this game now that. <laughs> they have the the pick clinched, so they. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They, they, that's a good point, actually. Uh, maybe they'll play hard. Uh, what do you think? The Browns? Uh, you think the Browns will will do it against the Steelers? So it's it's the Miles Garrett uh, Mason Rudolph revenge game. So <laughs> it could could get a little cranky out there. Yeah, I think you have to pick the Browns to win just because the Steelers don't have any interest in winning this. And this is like I think Greg Rosenthal pointed this out on Twitter. This is like an unintended consequence of having that extra team in the playoffs is now much fewer games matter in week 17 because seeding doesn't really matter as much. And I think home field advantage, not really being a thing this year plays right. into that as well. Right. But yeah, the Steelers have no, like, there's no difference between the, the three seed and the two seed now. So Steelers don't have any reason to play. Whereas last year, if they were fighting for that second seed, they would be playing all their starters this week and they would be trying to win this game. Right. Yeah, like you said last week, they they have to create a de facto buy essentially, which is what they've done. They're just not they're not playing their starters. Uh, But I would not be surprised if this game is a little closer than people think it's going to be. Like that nine point, I I would take the nine points. I think just because I like part of the reason the Steelers are a bad matchup for the the Browns isn't just that they're more talented on defense than other teams, but the way they play defense, I think gives Baker Mayfield in particular, some issues. Now, I don't know if it's going to really work out if I don't know how, how many of their starters aren't going to play and how long they're going to play. But I mean, if they play any decent amount of time, I do think that this defense could give the Browns offense some problems, especially with everything that's going on in that locker room right now. And, I don't. I can't imagine they're getting good practice reps in there for at, like at least the last two weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised if the offense is is rusty and the Steelers' defense keeps them in the game for as long as Mason Rudolph can, you know, not just ruin everything. Right. Exactly. Uh, over in the NFC, the Green Bay Packers are currently sitting in number one. Uh, unlike the Chiefs, they have not uh, clinched the number one seed, so they have to beat the Bears. Obviously, the Bears have played well as of late, uh, but 
I don't know. <laughs> we we do not have a lot of trust in Mitch Trubisky around here. Uh, the Saints and Seahawks are eleven and four, so they are both chasing. Uh, the Saints play the Panthers, and the Seahawks play at the 49ers. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think all three of those teams win and, and sort of lock in where they are. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would, I would be right there with you. I'm, I don't trust the, the Mitch Bisky resurgent. As yeah. I've written the last two weeks, uh, oh, I, I watched the uh, – I think they played the Jaguars last week. And he had one of the, his better games ever like EPA wise, I think it was 0.45 EPA per attempt, but I swear he's a worse player now than he was two years ago. Like he, he just doesn't look that good and everything that they run just makes things so much easier on him, which means the bears are totally going to sign him to an extension and we're all going to get to laugh at them in a couple months. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, down further, we have the, Washington football team with a, about a 60% chance of getting that number four spot. Uh, and they just have to beat the Eagles to do that. If they lose, then the winner of the Cowboys-Giants game, uh, I, I think, gets in, which is just totally crazy. So the Giants could get – the Giants would be 6-10 and 10, uh, under that scenario and would win the division. Um, so that's where that stands. Tampa Bay Buccaneers have clinched – a uh, a spot they're playing the Falcons. I I would I would wonder if they'll uh, rest a couple guys too, just because the game's not really going to matter. The Rams are in the number six spot at nine and six, and they are playing the Cardinals. And this basically is a win and get in game for uh, both these teams. Um, if the Rams. Uh, can 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 ride on the 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 legs of John Wolford and beat the Cardinals, then they'll they'll get in. But the Cardinals can uh, can jump into the playoff hunt. Uh, let me see what the forgetting what the line is. Arizona's a three point favorite in this one right now. How do you see it playing out? Uh, I don't know about that line. I think the Rams might win this game, not because of my affinity for John Wolford, but right. because Brandon Staley's defense, I think, matches up well with what the Cardinals do best. And I think he's going to be able to take away the run game and put pressure on Cliff Kingsbury passing game, which hasn't been very good all year. And we're going to see a low-scoring game that's the right environment for a team quarterback by John Wolford to be competitive. Right. Now, the Rams would stick in the playoffs if the Bears lose, as we expect them to, to the Packers. Um, so they would uh, we would just have many uh, NFC West teams in the playoffs, which is, quite frankly, how it probably should be. It's a very good division this year. Um, so that is sort of the roundup of the NFC East or NFC. <laughs> uh, and I'm looking at this. I, I still cannot believe the Cowboys and Giants could be it's it's interesting because that game will happen before the Washington football team Philadelphia Eagles game so one of the you know the Cowboys or Giants will be celebrating hoping and then hoping that the Eagles win and that will be uh, that'll have to pass for drama <laughs> for the end of the uh 2020 NFL season honestly the perfect way to end this season <laughs> is the Giants and Cowboys watching the football team versus the Eagles and like their playoff hopes are all dependent on it. It's a perfect way to end the season. People are going to complain about this Sunday night game, but I love it. Like this, <laughs> I mean, it, it's the perfect way to wrap up 2020, even though it will be after it will, it will be in 2021, but it will be a perfect send off for this it's, year. It's so fitting. Uh, all right. That's all we got for the counter this week. Um, yeah, we'll be back. Be back Monday. We'll we'll know we'll know some matchups. Then we'll be able to start predicting what we think is going to happen. Uh, we're going to spend all next week, uh, you know, digging in on these games. It's going to be it's extra extra game in each conference for wild card. I mean, wild card weekend was already the the best weekend of of NFL football, and now we're just adding another game. Uh, it should be you know, like you said, home field advantage just doesn't matter whatsoever it seems this year uh maybe maybe weather wise it could in some situations but uh it's really it really could shape up to be a super interesting uh slate of games so we're going to work on previewing that i think we're gonna 
uh, do a little video next week, next Monday morning, and we'll also have an episode. And then, like we said, we're going to try to have Mina Kimes on to offer some of her thoughts on the slate of games. Uh, it should be really fun. I mean, we have a, we have a good week scheduled, I think, um, looking forward. Stephen, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing to celebrate tonight? You're just going to run, uh, run through the streets of D.C.? No, I'm not going to leave my my house. Uh, I'm going to – what am I going to do? I'm going to – probably watch some some more john wolford no i'm not i don't i'm not gonna do anything football related i'm just gonna turn off my mind (laughs) like it same same all right everybody thank you for joining us uh take care we will talk to you uh, as soon as the season ends and we know what the playoffs are gonna look like the counter an nfl podcast from usa today sports 